Let's call out to him in prayer right now, shall we? Father, the one who reigns over all, God the Father, thank you for God the Son who came to die for us that we might be set free from our sins and brought into an eternal relationship with the Godhead. And thank you for the Holy Spirit who indwells us, God the Spirit, who brings our, us an awareness of your presence because he is in us and will be with us. And we thank you, O oh God, for all that you've done for us. We praise you as King of King and kings and Lord of lords. And we ask now that you would... Uh, Turn our attention to your word, Father, and the message that you have for us, and we pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. Well, some of you might be able to relate to the time that I grew up in, whereby there was uh, no running hot water in my house. There was one TV, and it wasn't colored, it was black and white with tubes in it, and um, and there was one TV station because we had a set of rabbit ears and that's all you could get. So we didn't have a computer and we didn't have all kinds of social media and special things. We didn't have Atari, we didn't have a Nintendo. So we had to make our own fun. And of course, one of the normal games that we played as kids in the neighborhood was to go outside and because that's what you did, you were kicked outside for the day, and, and that's in the days when kids came home like dogs, and that's how it was. It just didn't have to have fences, you didn't have to worry, you just sent the kids outside, and, and uh, someone would be assigned to count to 50, and all the rest of us would run away and hide. Anybody know of that hide-and-seek game? And of course, it was required of you after you counted to call out in a very loud voice, ready or not, here I come. Mark 13 is really Jesus' call to the world, ready or not, here I come. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 13 with me as we continue on in our series? And um, Jesus is, of course, calling out in a, uh, several directions, ready or not, here I come. But ready or not as well, you all need to be ready for the kinds of things that are coming. And Jesus has prophesied, predicted here in this particular text in Mark 13. So uh, with that in mind, let's look at the text. Mark 13. And by the way, in, in this text, there is an emphasis placed by Jesus' choice to repeat a word uh, and, a, and an idea over and over again, six or seven times, uh, depending on, on uh, which translation you have but, or how it's, how it's uh, pictured for you. And so I'll try to emphasize it as I read through it. But one of the words, one of the lines that uh, jumped out at me as, as I began to study this text is verse 31, and it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That is a powerful promise from our Lord. Uh, we've spent a lot of time, our world spends a whole lot of time focusing its attention on heaven and earth and very little attention on the Word of God. But the truth of the matter is, heaven and earth is passing away. But my word, says Jesus, will never pass away. There will be, a, therefore, a new heaven and a new earth, but God's word will not pass away. So having said that, it makes the priority of our reading of the Scripture pretty important, don't you think? As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher. What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will all these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines 
These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. Watch yourselves. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand for before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be first preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. You can, you can do better than that. Watch. That's the text. This is the word of God. This is the urgency of Christ for us to be watchful people. The price of our liberty is ceaseless vigilance, as one writer puts it. And it is true. Ready or not, Jesus says, here I come. In the meantime, make certain that you are watchful. No matter what, keep watch. And do not be afraid. Because the price of eternal liberty is ceaseless vigilance. In this text, Jesus is doing a number of things, and I want to point them out to you in, by way of introduction before we dig right into the text. But what we need to understand in particular is he is talking, of course, about his coming, about when Christ will come. He gives signs of his coming, but in particular, he talks about lots of unsigns, lots of things that will just be happening. And he doesn't want his people to become unsettled. Or wonder about his sovereignty, or wonder about, is God in charge, or wonder about our own lives, or is Jesus ever going to come again, or he wants to tell us that there are going to be a lot of things happening, and you need to watch for me, but at the same time, be watchful of your lives, that you don't fall into the trap of becoming discouraged, or deceived, or distracted, or any number of possible things that can happen to you with all of these things that are happening in the world. I guess I don't have to 
alert you to the idea that our world is constantly in a frenzy about this and about that. Right now, it's about some unseen little virus that's traveling around the world that is shaking everyone's life up. Jesus is saying, watch, watch, be aware, but don't be afraid. Don't become unsettled. Don't become unglued. Don't be like those who don't know me. And so I want to pick out from the text here four dangers that you need to expect. They just come with the territory of being believers. And then we'll look at some real signs of the coming of the Lord. But let's understand this, that contextually, as always, we need to understand what's the audience? Who's the primary audience? Because if you don't understand the primary audience, you will interpret incorrectly. The primary audience of Mark, and we've learned this from the very beginning, are Jewish converts to Christianity scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And Jesus is particularly, Mark is particularly taking out of Jesus' sermon on end time things what is appropriate and particularly, as the Holy Spirit led him, germane to the Jewish converts that are under significant persecution in the empire. Don't lose sight of that. As a result of that, Jesus talks about a whole lot of things in the text that if you don't know the Old Testament scriptures become quite perplexing to you. But the Jews that Jesus was addressing and the Christian converts, Jewish Christian converts, knew full well the things that Mark writes here that Jesus was talking about. And so we, we need to know a little bit in terms of introduction to Jewish eschatology. What were Jewish thoughts, end-time thoughts at the time that Jesus was saying this, that Jesus was preaching this? And of course, the big thing for them was the day of the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament prophecies, that phrase, the day of the Lord, captured their attention. They were expecting many of the things that Jesus is talking about here because they had heard it over and over again centuries before in prophecy. They knew of the day of the Lord. They knew that there was coming a day of God's reckoning, of God's judgment on earth. They expected that. God's dramatic intervention would come upon the world. But Jesus gives them some new things that they weren't really necessarily expecting. And so you need to know what was happening. Not only that, but there was all kinds of extra-biblical writings at the time as well, just like today. There's all kinds of people writing books about the things of God and about the Bible. And some of them are good and some of them are not so good. And such was the case at the time that Jesus was preaching this sermon. There was the Old Testament scriptures, but there was also all kinds of extra-biblical writings as well. And so there were speculative things. There was all kinds of wild, and crazy ideas that were out there. And Jesus is drawing all of their minds and all of their hearts into a focus on what they needed to know and what we need to know. And Jesus is um, preparing them, and, and it says here, talking about birth pains. These, he says in verse 8, are the beginning of birth pains, or literally Braxton Hicks pains, which are not the real thing yet. And so the second thing that we have to realize in biblical prophecy, in Old Testament, and even as Jesus is teaching and delivering it here, the genre of, of Old Testament and New Testament prophecy is the near and far fulfillments of prophecy. Regularly, prophecy is collapsed in terms of the vision that we have in the scriptures. And what I mean by that is that, and I've told you this before, is when you're driving out to the Rockies and you see all kinds of mountain peaks, if you've ever done that, and, and they look like they're right on top of each other. But when you get there, you realize that there's great lengths great expanse between one peak and another. And so it is with biblical prophecy. Regularly, there's a near fulfillment and then there is a far fulfillment. And in this text, you will be completely confused if you think that Jesus is talking about one event. He is not. He is talking about a near fulfillment and a far, far yet to be fulfilled fulfillment. 
And we have to try and discern the difference. And there's overlap and there's comparative ideas. Some of the characteristics are common. And we're not going to be able to unravel all of this till the final day when we stand face to face with Christ. But we'll do the best that we can this morning with the text and try to look at it from the perspective of of what is Jesus telling you? Jesus is telling us some things are going to just be happening and they're not pointing to the end. They are how it is, how it will be just because you're a believer, what life is going to be like. And he uses phrases like, you will see, versus when you see. Those are two different ideas. You will see this all of the time, but when you see this, so that's what we're going to look at. We'll, we'll notice the differences there. The other thing that Jesus is saying, at times he'll say, in those days, but then he will say, in that day. And there's a specificity to that. And so Jesus draws us into our attention on what are real signs and what are just things that will be happening, don't get unsettled, and what are the signs of his coming or of a, of a near fulfillment. By the way, Jesus never teaches for curiosity. It's always for application. That's why he says seven times, watch, be on guard. This is not a, an interesting lesson on, uh, uh, on end times, and, and, and we get very excited about stuff like that. Um, I remember in the days when I was like in... in end time frenzy as a 12 year old really reading all hell Lindsay's books and everything and, and and Jesus was coming in 1988 yes you know and guess what date it is now and it's a bad idea and it's a bad idea to read any book that actually sets a date on Jesus coming and the reason is in this text he makes it very clear the angels don't know I don't know the father knows and I can assure you no author knows so don't get all freaked out about somebody writing a book and giving you some sort of date. If they give you a date, they, you know they're wrong. I think the Father in Heaven will say, just because that guy set a date, I'm definitely not doing it on that date. <laughs> I don't know, but I think so. Anyway, so this is called, math, Mark 13 is called the Little Apocalypse. Revelation is the big apocalypse, the unveiling, all right? This is a little apocalypse, but it's packed with good stuff. And the other thing that you need to know as well before we dig in is that Jesus addresses more than the disciples ask, okay? Jesus addresses more than the disciples ask. The disciples were looking at the temple and they asked him, he had said that it's all coming down. He said, when is that going to happen? When will this be fulfilled? They were talking about the temple alone. Jesus goes past the temple to the coming of the Son of Man. That's intuitively obvious, but I want to make sure you see that. Okay, so what does Jesus address? I, I think as I take a look at this text, he addresses that we might not become unsettled over four dangers, four distinct dangers. And the first one is that you might be devoured by human effort religion. That's what we talked about last week. And, and um, of course, that's the chapter before, but this all links together in a sermon that Jesus is giving. He gave a, a long discussion to them in the temple. He was teaching in the temple, and now he leaves the temple, goes across the Kidron Valley, goes up into the Mount of Olives, and sits down. But it's all connected. And you remember, he's already just finished telling his disciples, we talked about this last week, that the result of works-based religion, the results of works-based righteousness has been seen by your very eyes in the temple. I had to chase out the thieves. I turned over their tables. You saw me do that. I had to teach proper truth that the Sadducees, the Pharisees were not teaching. And you saw the fruit of that with that poor devoured widow giving her last two cents, less than two cents, and then going away and dying. You've seen all of this, guys. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty convinced that Jesus was doing another one of his ah, moments with his disciples because they, he tells them, he's telling them of this, that, that, that the, their religious leaders had led them to a bankrupt spirituality. They, they're looking at, at what's taking place. They're in the temple. Jesus is talking about how, how bankrupt it has become. He gathers his little group and they take a little journey across the Kidron Valley, had enough time to think about what he had been saying. They sit down on the Mount of Olives and look back at the temple and their, their statement to him is, 
Jesus, look at the buildings. Aren't they fabulous? It's like, what? That's what you got out of my sermon? The aesthetic value of this building has captivated your attention? Guys, I have something to tell you. Not one of these blocks will be standing. Not one of these stones will be standing on another. The danger of being devoured by human effort religion and the external nature of it. So you're captivated by the the, uh, physical features of works-based religion and captivates your attention. Oh, look, God must be blessing us. Look at the great buildings that we have. Look at the expanse of our ministry. The temple, by the way, was the wow factor of Judaism. It was the biggest symbol in Jesus' mind and in Jesus' time, Herod's temple, that, and, and it was about to go out of business. Now, most of us are familiar with the Jewish, Jerusalem skyline. We've seen that iconic look of the... Uh, Mount with uh, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock and that big gold dome. We've seen that. That's an iconic look. Some of you have probably seen it with your own eyes. That is uh, nothing in comparison to the skyline at Jesus' time. This temple was spectacular. I, I It's impossible to come up with the right kind of words. You study the writers of the time, Josephus, and the descriptions of the temple. It was spectacular. It was started in 20 BC, and at the time of Jesus preaching this to his disciples 30 years after, be 50 years, it was still needing the finishing touches. Can you imagine? 50 years of construction. This thing was spectacular. It was located on Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him. This was a holy place in in Israel. And on top of it, they they didn't touch the mount at all, but rather they made this amazing architectural structure and, and leveled it out on the top of the mount called Herod's Temple. Some of the blocks in the foundation of this temple were 67 feet by 18 feet by 12 feet. Can you imagine? Perfectly hewn and blocked together. A a, a construction marvel in our day. This was the description of the the temple. There was uh, the southeastern entrance had uh, several hundred yards of of bridge and welcoming, welcoming gateway and a portico and colonnades and, and, and spectacular, beyond spectacular. And, and, and the blocks were, the facing of the blocks was pure gold so that when the sun shone on Mount Moriah, and in Jerusalem the sun shines a lot, when the sun shone on Mount Moriah, it was dazzling to the eyes. You couldn't look at the temple because it was a reflection, a glaring reflection of the sun itself. It's said that from miles away, people could see the temple, Herod's temple. It was the place that warehoused the glory of God and its architectural design demonstrated that as people looked at this, it looked like a snow-capped mountain from miles and miles away. Spectacular. It was made to last forever. In 69 AD, the Romans encircled Jerusalem. And Jesus had stated here in the text that Verse 14, let the reader understand. He says, let the, uh, uh, and then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to his, get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not Take place in winter because those will be days of distress unequal from the beginning when God created the world. 
And as Rome, General Titus, circled uh, Jerusalem, or began to circle Jerusalem, the Jews did not pay attention to Jesus' teaching here, and they all, co they all congregated into the city of Jerusalem. They, they came from the, the fields and the farms and came to Jerusalem to try and gain strength together. The Romans put a noose around the city of Jerusalem no one could come in and no one could go out. And for a year, they just stayed there and starved the city. The stories are horrendous of what took place in that city. Women became so desperate that they killed their own ch children and sold their children for food. And then in 70 AD, the temple was knocked down. Presumably the gold that overlaid all of those glorious stones was used to take care of the voracious appetite of the Roman war machine. And Jesus had told them, beware. Beware of being devoured by workspace religion. Because in a moment, its external physical nature can be taken down. Our world, our world is in a complete tizzy today. Our financial markets are tanking. They're closing down the sports events in certain countries, the iconic world of sports, because of a little invisible virus. Secondly, he says in verse 6, watch out, verse 5, that no one deceives you. Claiming that I am, many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. Verse 21, at that time if anyone says to you, look, here is Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear, perform signs and wonders. The second danger is the danger of being deceived by false messiahs. Every age is facing this. These are, these are not signs of the end. These are unsigns. This is what you should expect, Jesus says. This will happen. Ever-present reality of heresies. And he mentions that people will come in my name. They will use my name. My name. Wrong beliefs, by the way, beloved. beloved wrong Beliefs about Jesus makes one's Jesus a false messiah. We live in a world today of all kinds of representations of Jesus that have nothing to do or have no comparison to the scriptures. People may come in Jesus' name, but if they don't come in the name of the Jesus of the Bible, they're not coming in Jesus' name. There's all kinds of people who label their movements Jesus that have nothing whatsoever to do with the Jesus of the book. Jesus says, beware, watch out. Don't become unsettled. Don't follow the wrong messiahs. They're not messiahs at all. They're abusing my name. They're misusing my name. There are a number of signs of heresy by the way, again, this is an unsigned. This is not a sign of the coming of Christ. This is a sign to us to not become unsettled. This is what to expect. Over the centuries, there will constantly be heresy. Be aware of it. Watch out for it. Watch out for false teaching. William Barclay, in his um, older commentary, written in 1955, a professor at University of Glasgow, writes some really insightful things about how to spot heresy. I think it's worth listing here. First is watch out for people who bring you a truth that grows from their preferred truth. We talked about this last week, your truth, my truth, a preferred truth. The one they prefer, what people wish were true. They talk about Jesus, the Jesus they wish he was. That's heresy. There is a Jesus and he is who he is. Secondly, overstressing the one desired quality of God over all the others. Our world is, is happy with one particular characteristic of God 
It is God is love. They love that one. In fact, that appears to be the only characteristic of God as far as our world is concerned. He is a God of love. And by the way, he's a God of the love that they choose to describe him as. They define the love that God is love. God is also holy. God is also just. God is also merciful. And we could spend a long time talking about the characteristics of God. God is the essence of all of his characteristics. Beware of anyone who sets one characteristic or a couple of characteristics, but not all of God's characteristics. Thirdly, making religion attractive or popular, seeking to have to compromise to bring people to God. I jotted this down a while ago in terms of trying to decide who to partner with because there's lots of people using Jesus' name, lots of people talking about God, lots of religious ideas, lots of groups of people who want to come together and do common things under the, uh, supposedly the name of God. But I jotted this down as sort of a, a lane for myself and a lane for our church. Any attempt to recruit interest and investment in common projects that do not have or do not include a clear statement of shared belief and gospel conviction are doomed to fail. Fourthly, loners. Beware of loners. Loners who are always working on bizarre interpretations that no one else agrees with. That's usually a sign of heresy. And fifth, attempts to make all matters concerning God easily and logically understandable. I hope I've never tried to do that. I am not able to finitely fathom the infinitely unfathomable. I believe that God is one, eternally existent in three distinct persons. I will not tell you one tiny bit that that's can be explained with logic, can be easily explained or is easily understandable. It is as far as the heavens are above the earth, above my pay grade in my mind. I will simply tell you I believe it 100% is absolutely true because God has defined who he is. And I don't expect to be able to understand everything about my infinite God. I don't expect this weird little gray mass thing inside of my head to be able to figure out the God of the universe who spoke everything into existence, and neither should any of us. We are called upon as people to live by faith in what we have been given, what we have been demonstrated, sh shown in God's word. It is by faith we please God. And it's not blind faith. We have the word of God, and we have the living experience of God ourselves. There's a third danger we've got to be careful for. And that's found in verses 7 to 8 and verse 24 and 27. Notice what he writes here, or what he states here. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen. Now, the Thessalonians, by the way, got alarmed with all of this stuff. They quit their jobs and sat around waiting for the Lord to come. And Paul says, stop doing that. And it's a good job because two millennia have gone by and Jesus has still not come again. So... He's talking about things that will happen. Uh, such things must happen. And then if, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe what Jesus says. But the end is still to come. This, does not, this is not a sign of the end. The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. These are unsigns. By the way, right after, shortly after Jesus delivered this little sermon to his four disciples in private, the Parthenians attacked Rome viciously. There was a, a devastating earthquake that hit Laodicea. Mount Vesuvius erupted, burying the city of Pompeii and Rome in lava. There was an, a horrendous famine that took, time, took place at the time of Claudius. All of these kinds of things happened so much so that it led the historian Tacitus to, to, to declare that these times of, are the times of vengeance of the gods on Rome. Jesus had already prophesied all these things. It will happen. 
And they have been continually happening. I mean, what do we have going on around us right now? We have this unseen plague paralyzing the great powers of our world. There's wars and rumors of wars. Has America given a peace agreement to the Taliban or not? Wars, rumors of wars. We don't know. Climate change frenzy. Hypernationalism. Locusts are, are, are munching their way through East Africa, even as we speak. Polarized Western countries. Hurricanes. Tornadoes. Ripped through Nashville this very week. The polar vortex. People are setting up tents on tracks. We have all kinds of things going on. President Putin has declared this past couple of weeks that God would be entrenched in the constitution of Russia. Not only that, that he would entrench in the constitution of Russia creation, design, marriage between one man and one woman. Who of us ever thought that Russia would be more God-fearing than Canada? Surely the Lord is returning. Jesus, not so quickly. Jesus is saying to us, not so quickly. Maybe, but maybe not. All of these things have been going on for two millennia. Nothing new. So Jesus is saying, be careful. There's a danger of becoming distracted by global crises. It is hopefully not our, in our nature or our character to get all freaked out about COVID-19, known as coronavirus. I'm not suggesting we be reckless or careless or not practice good hygiene. I'm pleased you've been not hearing me say that. But I hope that we are not distracted by global crises like everybody else when we claim to believe that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hopefully, that's what we believe. And hopefully, that's how we live differently than everyone else. There's a great danger. And Jesus has already said, these things must take place, but that is not yet the end. And there's one other danger. He notes in verses 9 through 13. These are going to be hard times, he says. You must be on your guard. You've got to watch yourselves. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And then he throws in some good news. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. There's a danger. The fourth danger is the danger of being discouraged into defection by hardship and persecution. He is, Jesus is here warning Christians through the ages. These things will be happening. They're not signs of the end. This is normal. Christian life. The Christian way is going to be the hard way. You're going to face all kinds of uh, of heinous things. He states here, but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. Be on your guard. Don't be reckless. But if you're hauled up for your faith, don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will help you. You're going to face painful things like your family betraying you. Some of you have been betrayed by your family in here. You know what Jesus is talking about here. In some cases, though, the betrayal became their death. In the Roman Empire, there were all kinds of family informers on each other. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing before he started writing epistles. He was out paying attention to informants who were telling him, go here, go there. There's stuff happening over there. There's Christians in my family. There's Christians. You need to get them. They thought they were doing God a service. Don't be surprised. That's happening in our world today when Islamic people come to faith in Christ. Many of them face the death sentence from their very own families. This is how it will become. But he says to them, but there's a tremendous... It will be a tremendous time of advancing the gospel as well, and it will go to all the nations. That's why we know Jesus wasn't just talking about 70 AD. He was talking about the advancement of the mission enterprise to the face of the globe. 
That takes some time. That, that didn't just happen in 40 years. That takes some time. It's still happening. These are unsigns. This is what's to be expected, what's to happen. But there were some signs. And we don't have a ton of time here, but I want to point out to you as we complete this, what, what are the signs? In verse 29, Jesus makes the point of saying this. Even so, verse 29, when you see these things, what are the these things he's talking about happening? Then he says, you know that it is near right at the door. Now, these are signs. There's about five of them. The first is found in verse 14, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong. See verse 14? You looked at that, you were like, what in the world is Jesus talking about the abomination that causes desolation? This is not something that we commonly uh, refer to. It is found in the prophecy of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, Daniel 11, verse 31, you will find there a description of the, the coming of a situation called the abomination of desolation as a sign of the end. In 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek, uh, the Greek leader of Palestine at the time, sacrificed a pig, slaughtered a pig in the temple, in the Jewish temple, which spawned the Maccabean revolt. The Jews re rebelled against the Greeks. Jesus is now saying that there is coming an abomination that causes desolation sometime in the future. The one that had, there had been a, uh, a near fulfillment or a partial fulfillment that already took place in 168 BC, you see? Jesus is now talking 168 uh, plus 30 years, roughly 198 years later. And he's talking about an abomination that causes desolation. Now, the truth is, in history, in 70 AD, there was nothing like what happened in 168 BC that took place. There was nothing that happened in the temple that could be, could, could be the fulfillment of what Jesus is prophesying here. Do you understand what I'm saying? There was no, nothing that happened in the temple that really completed the fulfillment of this text. And it's interesting what Jesus says here. You've got to look at a little bit of grammar here. Stay with me. Don't glaze over. Say, I hated grammar. I never liked it in English class. But you like it in Bible class. You will like it in Bible class because it helps you. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing, and that participle standing is a masculine participle. In the Greek language, we have feminine, masculine, neuter to help us understand the word and what it's referring to. And then you have where it, a neuter noun, uh, does not belong. Jesus is declaring here that, the, that whatever it is is standing is masculine. Something masculine will be standing, so it should really be read, standing where he does not belong. And then there's an insert. You see that? Let the reader understand. Do you see that in your Bibles? Jesus didn't say that. That's been put in there by a, a, a later uh, writer to, because Jesus was talking very cryptically on purpose. And, and you see that. And we're going to be talking more and more cryptically as Christians as well as time goes on because of persecution. And he's talking about an abomination, and, he, and, and, the, and the editor of the text is saying, let the reader understand. Let the reader understand. You, you know what Jesus is talking about, and look at the grammar, and pay attention to the grammar, because as we go, back, as we go in the scriptures, and we, we, we look at what the Apostle Paul talks about in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 uh, verse 1 to 4, where Paul is now giving us a little bit more teaching on the end times. Paul says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus and our being gathered to him. Obviously, he's referring to the coming of the Lord. He's not referring to uh, what happened in A.D. 70. He's referring to the coming of the Lord because he states it right here. Not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letters supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion uh, occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, 
the man doomed to destruction. This is the man that Jesus is referring to in the abomination of desolation, standing in the place that he should not be standing. In other words, standing in the place of God, the Antichrist. This is what we're talking about here. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship so that he sets himself up, notice, in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. There has to be another temple for him to stand in, declaring himself God. Now, we can't go too far into that text, obviously, there, but that is the, uh, rev- that is the revelation that Jesus is giving us and how it's being pushed forward by the Apostle Paul. It talks about days in verse 19 of of distress unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Jesus is not talking about 70 AD. He's talking about 70 AD-ish. But what happened in 70 AD, if you read the back of the book in the big apocalypse in Revelation, is not even comparable. You're reading there in Revelation of seven seal judgments. You're reading of seven plague judgments. You're reading of seven bowl judgments of the the wrath of God in the book of Revelation. And Jesus says, when you see these things, for instance, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. That didn't happen in 70 AD. That's yet to happen. When you read Revelation chapter 6, 12 through 17, it, this, it, John distinctly talks about that. And by the way, John wrote Revelation in 90 AD, 20 years after 70 AD. If it had have happened, he would have said it's already happened. He's talking about this will happen. Revelation 12, 6, 12. And then, of course, the Son of Man coming in the clouds, Revelation 19, 11 to 16. And then finally, the gathering of the elect. What a beautiful picture this is. In Ezekiel chapter 10, the declaration that is made there is that the glory of the Lord has left Jerusalem. The prophecy of the glory of the Lord leaving Jerusalem, which did happen when Jesus left, when Jesus, uh, the temple came down. And it says there that in that particular prophecy that the, the, uh, the, the people of God were scattered to the four winds in Zechariah chapter 2 verse 6. And now we have this description Jesus is talking about here where there's the gathering of the elect. And look at the beauty of this in verse 27. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from where? The four winds. Just as the Old Testament prophets had said they would be scattered. They will be gathered from the four winds of the earth and to the ends of the heavens. These are signs. And that's when Jesus said, this generation that sees these things Man of lawlessness, unequal distress, cosmic upheaval, the gathering of the elect, the sun coming in the clouds. This generation will witness that moment. So be doorkeepers, he says. Be on your alert. These things are going to happen down through the ages, but there are signs of Jesus coming. And if you do not know for, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. And he writes here, no one knows. About the day or even the hour, not the angels in heaven nor the sun, but only the Father. And you can mark it down. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus' words will not pass away. Jesus is coming again. Our Father, I pray this morning as we look forward and as we are careful not to lose grip of of your promises to us and your warnings to us to be watchful that we don't become deceived or discouraged or distracted or devoured, but rather we continue to look up and look by faith upon the one who gave his life for us. Lord, I pray that we will not lose our footing that will continue to mobilize the gospel to the ends of the earth as Jesus himself commanded us and prophesied would take place and that we might stand, all of us, as doorkeepers today, right at the door, watching, watching, watching for our Savior to come because he is coming. And may we be ready, ready for his arrival. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What a glorious, glorious truth that is. Someday, 
for those who endure to the end, Jesus said, someday will be your last day. And then we'll be set free from these bodies to be with Christ forever in our resurrection bodies, with those that have gone before us who we love so much. And so in the meantime, he says, be watchful, be ready. Make sure that your account with God is right, that you're right with him. Make sure that you're right with one another because you do not know the day or the hour when your Lord may come. It could be today. The great tragedy in our world right now is not the coronavirus. As dramatic as that is, if it were to kill a million, million, a million people, everyone is already destined to die. The great tragedy of our world is the billions of people who don't know Jesus Christ. The real tragedy is the people in this room this morning who aren't right with Jesus Christ and aren't ready for him. And if he comes and you're not ready for him, you will end up in hell for eternity. That's the truth. That's the great tragedy of our world. That's what the news media should be stirred up about. Billions of people relying on works religion that will buy them nothing because Christ has already bought us with his precious blood. I urge you, friends, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is the day of salvation. You come to faith today. At the end of the service, we'll be here at the front. And I encourage you, don't go that way. If you don't know Jesus, you come this way. And let's talk about it. He is coming again. And it will be glorious. And you want to be in on it. You don't want to miss it. So don't leave without Christ this morning. Our Father and our God, let's stand together. Our Father and our God, we stand in your presence right now, amazed. Amazed that you would love us. Amazed that you would send your son to die for us. Amazed that you would take our sins away from us so that we could have a life, an eternal life with, with God in heaven. Lord, we pray for our world right now. The gospel is going out throughout the world. I pray that wherever the gospel is being proclaimed today, that people are coming to faith in Christ. I pray, Lord, for our setting right here, that no one would leave this morning without Christ as their Savior, settled King and Lord of their lives, I pray. Because you are coming again as, as true as the prophecies that have been fulfilled. This one will be fulfilled, and it might be today. Let us be ready, O oh God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.